Hello, it's 5th of February 2017, and this is episode 16 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis, and commentary with focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So, Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been? Um, it's been pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to get this out of the way. I have a quite a bad cold at the moment, so uh, <laughs> hopefully my voice doesn't gross people out too much. <laughs> you really don't um, sound that gross. Don't worry. I, I I think I sound okay now, but maybe give it two hours of talking and we'll we'll see. <laughs> um, but otherwise, it's been pretty good. Um, my personal life hasn't been great this week, but I've just been kind of distracting myself with Star Wars, mm. as we probably all do from time to time. Yeah. So it's been kind of a nice escape. Mm. And um, what about you? Um, yeah, no, like in Star Wars times, it's been pretty quiet. Um, like the most busy element of my Star Wars fandom has been my inbox on Tumblr, because <laughs> I always get so many questions. I love you all. I, I love you all. I just feel bad because, like, I have over six hundred unanswered ask messages. Oh my! <laughs> I, I'm sure people understand. You can't get to all of them. Yeah, like I don't mean to sound really conceited, but. Like I sometimes feel a bit like Ringo Starr because Ringo <laughs> Starr had this like vow that he was going to answer all his fan mail until he eventually stopped. And I'm kind of like Ringo Starr at the point when he realised there's just no point in trying to answer everyone's letters. <laughs> you must get a lot that kind of cover the same ground as well, right? Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I would ne- I never try to like ignore anyone's messages. Like if I think there's something really vital and worth answering there. Like, but if someone is asking something that I've answered loads of times before or they're writing to tell me about something someone else has already told me about, I might not reply to that. Yeah, that's um, fair. Yeah, no, so I think you have to have limits sometimes. Uh, but yeah, sorry, I'm sure no one <laughs> tuned in to listen to me talk about my Tumblr inbox. <laughs> um, yeah, so in the new Star Wars fandom landscape, we are now on Facebook which is a step into the great unknowns. It's a new social media space. Uh, so yeah, you can basically find us by typing in Scavengers Ward on Facebook. So if you want to, please feel free to give us a like on there and spread the word. Um, it's pretty quiet at the moment, but it's something we're hoping to build up more like as we move along. Um, and I think there are also the podcasting awards. Is that right, Kirsty? Yeah, I think it's only the second year they're on, so it's still pretty new. But mm. um, you can nominate podcasts now and then there'll be a period where they assess things and then they'll be able to vote for whoever were the 10 most popular in each category or whatever it turns out to be so if people like scavengers horde um and want to nominate us for various podcast categories that would be great um probably include the link in the youtube comments right Mm, yeah i i think it's star wars podcast awards specifically just to be clear it's not general podcast awards oh yes yeah (laughs) yeah star wars podcast so yeah um, it's a nice little niche yeah but there are so many great podcasts out there so i yeah it it would just be great to have some support from our listeners but totally understand if there are other podcasts that you prefer to listen to (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> don't be so humble this is the time to assert ourselves to sell ourselves to the well it's it's been really nice because <laughs> some listeners have got in touch and said they've nominated us nominated us for various categories already which is really great to hear because yeah you know we, we want to enrich people's fandom experience yeah. so yeah it's, it's nice to get that yeah no it's really awesome so obviously a massive thank you to anyone who's voted for us that's really really cool and um, we definitely appreciate it 
Um, yeah, and then I guess the last bits of business are that we invite you to rate and review us on iTunes because that is always a massive help to us. Um, and if you've already done so, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. And if you have any questions for the podcast, you can email us at scavengershorde at gmail.com. Uh, right. Then we can move straight into news. And the first story is that there are fresh details on Finn in The Last Jedi via making Star Wars specifically through their podcast. Um, this touches on what I'd consider light spoiler territory. So, yeah, like if you're a bit nervous or queasy about spoilers at all, skip ahead. But I really think this is only going to be spoilerific if you're afraid of seeing things that are probably going to be seen in trailers and posters and stuff anyway, because it's quite surface things. Um, right, so that it's been basically summarised in bullet points. And we have... Finn goes undercover and wears a First Order officer's uniform, but with no hat. Um, and then there were early reports about Tom Hardy being in The Last Jedi and interacting with Finn. His character doesn't know Finn is a good guy and that he's undercover. And just to clarify, um, Tom Hardy is rumoured to be playing a stormtrooper. So it would be a similar cameo to the thing that Daniel Craig did in The Force Awakens. So very famous guy, but you're unlikely to see his face. <laughs> um and they believe that Finn infiltrating like the First Order base where he bumps into Tom Hardy is something to do with him and Kelly Trans character planting explosives somewhere. That it's not clear exactly what the link is, but the suggestion is there is some kind of link. Um, and yeah, the suggestion is that the First Order officer's uniform is the cover he uses to be able to plant the bombs. Um, and then finally, there's a little detail concerning, like, essentially what we saw in the Dubrovnik filming. And it's that Kelly Marie Tran's character and Finn get on the space horse to chase a speeder with two guys wearing tuxedos in it. And Benicio del Toro's costume does not look like those tuxedos. And that clarification basically came about because some people were reaching the conclusion that the men wearing tuxedos seen in the set photos from Dubrovnik, they believe that one of them might be Benicio Del Toro's character, like his stunt mm. double. Um, but yeah, making Star Wars, don't think that's the case. Um, so yeah, that's like a bunch of small things, a bit disjointed. But did you get any like impression from that, Kirsty? Um, I think it'd be really cool to see Finn in a First Order officer's uniform. Hmm. Because it kind of has that Cassian and Jin vibe, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. There's like a grand tradition of um, wearing the enemy's uniform to infiltrate bases in Star Wars. It seems to happen in almost every movie. Yeah, I, I like this because it kind of highlights Finn's bravery again, that he's going back to face the First Order. Mm. And like that organization in general seems to be his shadow. Um, so he's kind of going into the belly of the beast again and just... Yeah, it's, that sounds really cool. Mm. That's a really good point. So obviously in Force Awakens, he spends all of that movie trying to run away from the First Order. Mm. And he's very outspoken and clear about that being his motive. He wants to escape. Um, and yeah, it says a lot about how far the characters come, like that he's actually willing to go back into the First Order and even wear the uniform of one of the people who would have presumably been dictating his life and bossing him around while he was in the First <laughs> Order. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting and it's a nice um, role reversal for Finn as well. So going from being the commanded to the commander. 
Yeah, I kind of forgot about these details of them being on the horse and chasing the speeder as well. But that reminds me of um, the To Catch a Thief reference that we were talking about last week as well. Mm. There's that chase in that movie. Um, And we were already saying that it kind of reminded us of the Dubrovnik setting. Mm. So that kind of cements that further in my mind as well. Is that when um, Grace Kelly is driving the car like a maniac? Yeah. (laughs) I get anxious (laughs) watching her drive like that. Yeah. Especially because she's got this wonderful serene smile on her face for the whole trip. It's like, how can you look so calm? I know the real answer is that she was filming with back projection and a back lot. Oh, I love watching driving scenes in old movies. Yeah. (laughs) There's something so charming about it. It's really nice. You don't get that anymore. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I wonder if Kelly Marie Tran's gonna kind of go crazy riding the horse and Finn's gonna <laughs> be like, What? <laughs> Slow down, please. <laughs> I um wasn't she, she's in front of Finn, isn't she, on the fall? On- yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like so maybe she has the reins, so to speak. Yeah. Like Grace Kelly hid the steering wheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be exciting. Yes, we both um rewatched to catch Thief, didn't we? To go off on a mini tangent. Yeah, I was a bit hazy on the details as I was describing it last week. I realised it had been a few years. Mm. So you watched it and then I was like, yeah, I'm going to watch it too. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah. And it definitely reminded me of what we've been hearing about Dubrovnik and that kind of side of the story. Yeah. No, abs- absolutely. You really get a sense of this absurdly like wealthy, affluent community. And like the way they're just so frivolous with their money. And yeah, it's really interesting. There's been lots of rumours about the Dubrovnik planet being some kind of like hot spot of first order funders. And I could absolutely see that being the place because it's clearly a place where there's lots of money around. And um, yeah, is that the same um, casino planet we've been hearing about? Is that supposed to be that same area or is that somewhere else? I'm pretty sure it's the same because yeah. the main characters in To Catch a Thief meet in a casino as well, don't they? They do. Yeah. Which is really so. cool. It's a very brief scene, so it's easy to forget. It's in To Catch a Thief, but it's absolutely there. Um, yeah, and it just suggests all this like decadent, vaguely corrupt living. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I, I feel bad. I feel like it's sacrilege to say this because it's like it's Alfred Hitchcock. Everything he made was a masterpiece, but like I didn't think it was that great a film. Like I really, I enjoyed it, and it really looked beautiful. Like on a cinematic level, it was great, and I really liked the tone it established and the feel of it, but. I, it just like as a story, it fell a bit flat for me. It wasn't very engaging. Oh, I know what you mean. It's definitely not one of his best. Yeah, no, exactly. But I can absolutely see why it would be a good reference point for Star Wars because I do think it has a really good mood. And like you said, I think it's more going to be about the atmosphere, like rather than any specific plot points. So yeah, yeah for sure, be cool. Um, yeah. Do we want to say anything else about that? Um. I don't think so. I mean, it'd be cool to have Tom Hardy in the film, but mm. yeah, you're probably right that we won't see his face. Yeah, I reckon <laughs> it's probably the kind of situation where Tom Hardy is a little boy. He loved Star Wars, like because we it's easy to forget with these big Hollywood stars. They were kids once, just like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And yeah, of course, they're gonna, there's going to be lots of Star Wars fans amongst them because so many people love Star Wars. So that's why you have these crazy big names like queuing up to be extras in Star Wars films. It's oh yeah, I was to Star Wars. Yeah, I was really happy when Simon Pegg got to play Uncarplet because he's such a huge Star Wars fan. I think he wrote his dissertation at university on Star Wars. Wow. That's so amazing. that must have just been a dream come true for him. So it's really cool that now it's been rebooted, people can be part of it and they probably never thought that, that would have that opportunity. So. Yeah. No, which is lovely. 
Um, right, then the next story is that the Han Solo movie has started filming. Um, and yeah, there was basically a, a post on social media showing like the clapperboard. Um, I think Chris Miller posted it. Um, so yeah, we know that the Han Solo movie has now officially gone before cameras. Um, does this fill you with much in the way of excitement, Kirsty? <laughs> it does, actually. Oh, good. I love it's... Han Solo, as everyone knows. So yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to see what they do with the story. Um, yeah. We still have very little in the way of spoilers and things like that. Maybe that will start trickling in now it's filming. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like the actors must be under, be, <laughs> be under a lot of pressure you know, to kind of fill those iconic roles. So Yeah, I did actually um, read an interview of Billy Dee Williams. Um, I think it was like Vanity Fair or one of the big magazines in Hollywood. Um, and he basically said that the film's about like how Han and Lando meet for the first time and like how the ownership of the Millennium Falcon changes hands and stuff. I don't think that's a big spoiler by any stretch of the imagination. I think those are all things you would logically assume would be in a Han Solo movie with Han Solo and Lando Calrissian. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's nice to hear that we'll have that kind of focus because I think that's what people really want to see. They really like Han and Lando, so we're going to want to see those two characters together. Yeah, I think that sounds really cool. Um, Yeah, weren't there... Actually, I don't know if you've got this as a piece of news later on, but there were photos of... Donald Glover and Billy Dee Williams together having lunch sometime this week. Yes, that's right. There were um, like someone very unsubtly took a <laughs> selfie, um, and it just happened to have um, Donald Glover and Billy Dee Williams having lunch in the background. Yeah, of course, that's the whole purpose of the photo. Yeah, um, and yeah, and it was really nice to see that they're keeping the original actors involved, and I guess they're kind of mentoring the younger guys. So just like giving advice, saying good luck. Who knows? I'm sure it's probably <laughs> set up by the studio. So oh, I'm probably. Sure, like how much they're going to be saying or what the nature of what they're saying is. But yeah, like it's just really nice to know that Billy Dee and Harrison are still involved because there were also pictures of Harrison having lunch with Alden. Ele- 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 <laughs> I just say his surname. Sorry, Aaron Reich. Aaron Reich. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, I think lots of people are having trouble with that one. <laughs> yeah, pronunciation is like my Achilles heel. Basically, <laughs> I pronounce things so poorly. I once said um, "soffle" instead of "souffle" and laughed out the room. <laughs> people was hilarious, and I did this wrong until somebody told me. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's really nice that these older actors feel like custodians for the role. You know, Carrie Carrie said that a lot about Leia. Mm. So it's it's really important. They know how important it is to the fans and to kind of pass on their impressions of the characters and any tips they might have for the younger actors. I think that's really great. Yeah. No, it's really, really cool that they're still in the loop and they're consulting in that way. Um. Yeah, um, I think the clapperboard shows that the title is um, Red Cup, like that's the working title. Mm. Um, and that, I've heard it's some kind of obscure reference to like a Lego set um, because there's like. Oh, really? Random, yeah, there's apparently like a random red cup in the Lego set of the Millennium Falcon. Oh, uh, see, I had a completely different theory for what it was. Oh, and I, and I didn't even think it was up for debate. So the solo cups, you know, like um, those red cups that college kids here uh use at parties and stuff like could you explain i don't know what oh, okay 
Sorry. So have you ever, have you ever watched like an American college movie or or a teen movie or anything? I try to avoid them if I can help. Okay, understandable. <laughs> but it's Sorry. this thing like this famous brand of like plastic cups. They're all they're coloured red mostly, and they're called Solo cups. Okay. So I thought red cup referred to that, and it was just kind of they were using that as code to mean the Solo movie. But right. but I could be completely off the mark. That was just immediately where my mind went to. That sounds like a very logical conclusion. Uh, like I, guess, I hadn't heard these other theories. So I guess the um, like I guess what you believe probably depends on how much you believe Phil Lord and Chris Miller love Lego, which I'm guessing is they love Lego a lot because they did the Lego movie. I haven't seen the Lego movie. So. Oh, it's so good! And literally uh, just yeah. earlier today, I went to see the Lego Batman movie. It's oh, hilarious! I, liked... I was so enjoying good. the trailers for that one. Yes, it's so yeah. great. I really recommend it. It's so much better than all the live action DC movies. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know that's not hard because those movies generally aren't considered to be very good, to put it kindly. Um, but yeah, it's just so fun and witty and adventurous. It was great. And it was also full of references to the 1960s Batman TV show, which right. I love because when I was a kid, I watch it all the time. But I'm sorry, that's a massive tangent, so I'm going to stop there. No, I will definitely check it out. Yeah. Uh, I should probably watch the Lego movie because obviously these guys were involved with that. Um, yeah might be a good kind of insight into what we can expect from this in terms of comedy and mm. that lightheartedness. Yeah. There's a really lovely warm film. I think that's what's surprising about the Lego films how much heart they have because mm. these are films that should by like any reasonable estimation just be completely unashamed adverts for toys, but they are, are so much more than that. There's so much like love and heart put into them, which yeah. is really great and that does make me excited for what they're going to do this Han Solo movie. Yeah. So I do feel like Phil Lord and Chris Miller that they're gonna have more of their stamp on what they want this movie to be. Like I don't foresee there being all the production problems that there were with Rogue One, for example, with this Han Solo movie. I'd like to think it's gonna be much more smooth sailing. Yeah, hopefully. I guess I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I don't want to jinx it by saying that and then it's like, Oh dear. Um but yeah, I just have a good feeling about it. Cool. Yeah. Um, right, then we have a bit of news, or I guess it's more like a rumour, on when we're going to see the first bit of Last Jedi footage. First bit of Last Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't realise um, how silly these things sound until I say um, <laughs> Right, and this is from Star Wars Newsnet. And basically they have said, We contacted one of our sources who shared with us an interesting tidbit. According to him, right now they are hard at work on a new behind-the-scenes reel for The Last Jedi, which will be the first footage that we see from the movie. This means that there will be no teaser trailer before Celebration. All rumours on the web with earlier dates are not accurate, as are the reports with teaser descriptions. While a behind-the-scenes reel premiering during Celebration is not surprising at all, since they pretty much did the same for The Force Awakens and Rogue One, it is interesting that we'll be heading into celebration without any The Last Jedi footage released before. <sighs> like, I don't like to question people's sources, but I can't help but think there's a mix of like truth and misunderstanding in this because mm. I just I don't see any world where the first bit of The Last Jedi would see beyond that like start of filming video um, would be a behind the scenes reel. That's I what I was thinking. It. I feel like the first impression, they'd want something a bit more polished to be out there. Something that, I mean, I know that the behind the scenes footage would be controlled and they would be very careful about what they included. Mm. But still, 
you want something to go out there to really pack a punch and yeah. behind the scenes footage doesn't always tell that story yeah no exactly so, like i know stars newsnet they've have had scoops in the past but they've also been a bit hit and miss they have got things wrong so i reckon that it's probably legitimate that there is a behind the scenes reel in the works so i think it's very very likely that you're going to get that a celebration but i think the suggestion like the emphatic suggestion that there's going to be nothing before that like i just can't buy that um like that might be the wishful thinking part of me speaking because of course i really really want there to be a trailer before celebration didn't you say that you'd read something a bit different from Slash Film? Yes. No, well, in Slash Film, apparently, there's been, they've said that they've been hearing whispers about there being something attached to Beauty and the Beast. Mm. Um, and there's also something else. So, there's so many different things because everyone's grasping at straws because they all want trailer to happen soon. <laughs> um, there's um, like a company that does trailer music and they did the trailer music for Force Awakens and Rogue One. And they've put like a mysterious countdown on their website i think going up towards the end of february and there's no indication of what it's for or anything but people have been suggesting it might be for the new star wars trailer Mm. um so yeah like i'm cautiously optimistic that we're getting something of beauty and the beast i'm almost certain that super bowl is a complete write-off and we'll know for certain very shortly because super bowl's tonight (laughs) um but yeah, I, I'm an optimist, so I like to think we're going to get something soon. How yeah, I think soon? I think that combined with um, what we'd heard from that guy at Fandango mm. about them already having been working on a trailer for quite some time. Yes, that kind of it kind of indicates to me that we would get something a little bit before celebration because otherwise they would have had a long time just to work on that one trailer. Yes. So I definitely think there'll be something big and juicy at Celebration because they want to kind of reward the people who were there. But I would be surprised if there's absolutely nothing before then. Yeah, same. Because, you know, Rogue One didn't work that way. They had that that exciting first trailer out before Celebration, which they then had the behind-the-scenes footage there. But, you know, you want to kind of hit as many people as you can in Celebration, even though you have the most dedicated people there. And obviously everyone can check everything out on the internet afterwards. Mm. Um having something in the theatres probably makes more sense. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and I just looked it up and the trailer company is called Confidential Music. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and basically the countdown on their website goes to Thursday. Pardon. Goes to Thursday, 23rd of February. Okay. So, yeah, that's a potential date. That Oh, yeah, I'm just looking at the timeline. Sorry, I'm kind of discovering things as I talk. <laughs> um, and the countdown says next release in 17 days, 23 hours, 46 minutes and zero seconds. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, please, God, be Star Wars, please. But isn't um, Beauty and the Beast isn't out until like March 17th, is it? Um, Let me check that. Like, I'm pretty sure the trailer would come out prior to... Like the theatrical film it were to be released with. Oh, um, okay. And then they would just show it at, at the yeah, screenings, you mean? Okay. Exactly. So they'd just show it with that film. So that would be the okay. first film that the Last Jedi trailer would be attached to. Right. Um, which I think would make sense. Um, yeah, it seems like Beauty and the Beast is coming out middle, middle of March. Mm. Yeah. So it could potentially work. So please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're just like so pleasing in that. <laughs> want this to be true so yeah. if we say maybe it'll happen 
it goes back to that thing I was saying about how, like, if you wish hard enough, you can make things real. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Right. Then to move on, the final news story is that the First Empire's End end Extract has been released. I'm so sorry. Something about the um, triple E... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> guessing me. I've been getting tongue tied a lot today as well. So <laughs> <Fine. no> words. <laughs> the <wabbit>. <laughs> Okay, right, I'm gonna calm down. <clears throat> so this extract, it's basically it seems to be like one of the interludes because aftermath it has the main story and then there's like these little cutaways which like often tend to be like what people like really zone in on because they're like, ooh, original trilogy characters. <laughs> um so they tend to be the more juicy bits. But yeah, this interlude is like about Lando and it's interesting because it's clearly a special time in the Solo family's trajectory. Um, and I will read part of the extract, which came from I- io9. Right. And it goes. As they walk, Lobot looks over at him as a new communication flashes across his wrist. I'm told to remind you that the princess will soon give birth and you have not yet procured for them the standard natal gift. What? That's impossible. She was just... I swear they just got married. Didn't I just give them a nuptial gift? It has been the proper biological time. You just do not realise how much time has passed. We have been busy. Lobot's a barrel of laughs, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> not that expected. Be like, <laughs> you, you scoundrel. Um, yeah. So have they, I guess. Also, you never got them a nuptial gift. He sighs. Okay, okay. Buying gifts for a kid. Can we get him a cute little cape and a moustache so he looks like old Uncle Lando? Lobot doesn't respond, offering only a humorless stare. (laughs) Fine, fine, I'll think about it. His mind drifts briefly to Han and Leia. Han, one of his oldest and greatest friends. And Shaw, one of his greatest rivals too. He misses that old reprobate. Crazy times they had. Good times, even when they were bad. And now, Han is with Leia. Oh boy. Those two are a pair of rocket boosters firing full bore. Lando just hopes those two engines are both firing in the same direction. Because if they're ever pointed at each other, they'll burn each other up. Dun dun dun! Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It's quite interesting, I'd say. Um, How did that strike you? Oh, I loved it. Mm. This is my kind of fan service. <laughs> I've been a big fan of the Uncle Lando headcanon for a while. Like... <laughs> The idea of him teaching little Ben how to play cards and gamble and just kind of getting him into mischief. You're going to want like the Star Wars equivalent of Muppet Babies, whereas all the <laughs> sequel trilogy characters as babies. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they're just doing a bunch of cute shit. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of cute fan art out there. Yeah. Um, Uncle Lando and Uncle Chewie. Yeah. So. No, it's really sweet. It's like very ripe territory for fan exploration. Yeah, but now it's canon. Yeah, he's talking about buying him a little cape and a mustache. How cute is that? Someone needs to draw it. That's yeah, my first thought on reading that. It's like, draw it, please. <laughs> it's <laughs> probably already out there somewhere. Yeah, we've got to look, look at Tumblr. It's like we've already drawn like every possible permutation of like Baby Ben and stuff. <laughs> so now draw him in like Lando Calrissian cosplay. It would be amazing. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> Um, and I'm really excited for this book generally. Um, mm. Not just for the original trilogy characters. I'm really excited to see what happens with Ray Sloan and Gallius Rex as well. So 
Yeah, it's like I feel naughty. I still haven't read the first two, but like I know the key points. And yeah, the stuff of Gallius Rex, the stuff of Gallius Rex is very interesting to me. Um, and in particular, I really want to find out what the hell the Emperor was doing there. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that all of that is kind of wrapped up in this this book trilogy, but. I'm also wondering if they're still going to kind of save stuff and if it has implications for the sequel trilogy. Mm. So it will probably just raise more questions because that's how things go now. <laughs> now the canon is just never ending. Yeah, I, I kind of had the impression that it will be scene set in for the sequel trilogy. So I seem to remember that being how Aftermath was first marketed. Like this is like the preparation for the sequel trilogy. It's like laying the groundwork for the events of those films. Yeah, I know a lot of people felt that the first Aftermath book didn't really accomplish that. And I think that's probably where all this stuff about Jakku and the Emperor's plan for it, that's going to come in in that way. Um, so yeah, like I, I don't see it being explicitly referenced in the films. But I absolutely think it's going to be important scene setting. So yeah, I'm really, really curious to see what comes out. Um, so I'm going to be scouting my local Waterstones for um, <laughs> any copies that are put out early on the shelves because people <laughs> seem very lax with books in my experience. Oh, really? They put them out before they should? Yeah, I, I think I got Bloodline like a week early. Oh, wow. Because I didn't... Waterstones <laughs> had not a care in the world for um, release dates. Oh, interesting. well for me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I might have to take a trip to Barnes & Noble and see if they've put it out a bit early. <laughs> exactly. Keep praying, keep the dream alive. <laughs> it was like when the um, someone got the 3D Blu-ray of Force Awakens early. Oh, and yeah. then they wrote up that massive transcript of what was said in the um, commentary. Yeah, that and was awesome. it like, blew the internet open because people were like, what? And no one else had it because she was just lucky enough to get an early copy. Yeah, that was cool. It was very cool. Pardon. So what do you think about this bit where he's talking about Han and Leia's relationship? I find that really interesting because... It's ominous. <laughs> yeah, like it's a bit of a um, sore subject, I know, because people really love Han and Leia and that relationship. And I know in the past when people have suggested it wasn't all sunshine and roses with them, some people have got like quite upset because they really want that relationship to be like happy and secure which I completely get because they're beloved characters um but I just think that is really interesting that we're still getting this kind of message like in this book because yeah it does indicate that it was very stormy and that there was like danger on the horizon um what did you think about it yeah, it's interesting to me because I know everyone has their own ideas of how relationships in canon go. But for me, that storminess was kind of a big appeal of their dynamic in the original trilogy. Mm -hmm. I kind of liked that sparring. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like I, I felt like it was in character for them both to kind of be a bit stubborn and argumentative, but still love each other very much. You mm -hmm. know, Some yeah. people are just high conflict in their relationships. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like I, but I just think it's interesting that it's kind of included here because, like, as we're talking about the idea of these books kind of setting the scene for the sequel trilogy, mm. it is kind of like that in between. And I know Bloodline touched on this as well that even though they were very much in love, yeah, their their marriage was quite an unconventional one. They spent a lot of time apart, yes. kind of pursuing their own goals. Yeah, which is what you'd really expect because they are such different people. Yeah, like. And their spheres of interest are so vastly different because 
it's hard to imagine any world where Han Solo would become interested in politics, <laughs> for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like it's natural that they had quite different areas of focus in that respect. I think people, especially fans of the EU, might have a hard time of it because their relationship was presented quite differently there. Like Han did get more involved in the politics side of things. Mm. Um, I was never a huge fan of that. I, in certain parts of the EU I was, but um, not really stuff that related to the original trilogy. It was more kind of like the Old Republic stuff that I was into. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think if, you know, if people are attached to those certain ideas and then that kind of gets pushed aside and they start with this new canon, mm. it's probably it's probably never going to please everyone, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, there's always going to be people disappointed because it's Star Wars and people get intensely attached to like a certain picture of how things will go and should go mm-hmm. um which is understandable but yeah i think as with any piece of like, art or entertainment it's generally best to try and go with the flow and yeah just like accept that that's going to be how things are yeah but I'm, I'm just really excited for empire's end because i have a feeling we're going to kind of see ben solo being born as well yeah so. Now, I'm really cool. curious to find out the circumstances of that because I have a feeling that'd make it like quite dramatic. Mm. I, I I don't think that would be like an episode of casual. No, actually, casual, <laughs> in a casualty, everything's dramatic. Um, <laughs> I don't know, like a soap opera where it's like, oh, everything went very smoothly, Mrs. Um, Solo. Here's your lovely baby boy. I hope you take it easy. And it's probably going to be like there's going to be like a war going on outside, and the ship's going to be in critical power mode or. Something. Oh yeah, because the the setting I think for a large portion of the book is going to be that final battle at Jakku. Yes, um, which was obviously pictured at the end of um, Lost Stars as well. So we're going to kind of get a different perspective, but mm. with our original trilogy characters this time. Yeah, it's um, really cool. Yeah, so it'd be really interesting to see. Yeah, it's just possible that Leia down. was caught up in it, like especially if she like went into labour prematurely or something. Right, because she's. I can see her being the kind of woman where she'd just like keep on going for as long as possible. Yeah. She'd probably be like on the brink of giving birth, but she'd still be like on the command deck, like giving orders and trying to help people. Because that's just how Leia is. And yeah. they'd be like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So high stakes. Um, yeah. Is there anything else we want to say about Empire's End? Um, I don't think so. I mean, we'll talk about it more when the book comes out and we have more than this one extract. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There will be definitely <laughs> lots to talk about when it comes out, so that'll be exciting. Yeah. Um, right, then the spotlight this time is going to be on Leia, um, played by the immaculate and amazing Carrie Fisher. Um, and yeah, we're just going to do pretty much what we did with like Luke um, in, in the sense that we'll run through like, Leia's role in each of the films. Um, and just like discuss the character and the evolution she undergoes, but was gonna like add a bit of extra punch by going into like the cultural impact of Leia as well. So I think it's it feels right to have that discussion right now, like in light of the political scenarios that we're experiencing at the moment, um, because you see Leia's face coming up again and again, and it's been really cool to see her become like this big cultural touchstone. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. But to go right back to the beginning, obviously we first meet Leia in A New Hope, what was originally Star Wars, of course. Um, and yeah, like I think it's easy to forget that Leia is the first main character we actually see in Star Wars. Yeah. Um, so like in many ways, like it's her story 
of a new hope like she is the one who takes control of the action like she's the one who bosses like luke and had around and tells them where they need to go and what they need to do and it's just so great and so subversive because especially back in 1977 when you see a character called princess you don't have like high hopes for that character's like independence or self-determination but leia was brilliant because she blew open all those expectations about what a princess should be like and she just asserted herself as this really strong and powerful woman who wasn't afraid or ashamed to take command of the situation she found herself in which is really really empowering um yeah so what are your feelings about leia in a new hope kirsty i think right from the beginning she just makes this amazing impression mm. like i can't even put into words how important she is really in that role like yeah. it's just it's just incredible um it's yeah it's just like a great role model for girls and i don't say that in like leia is this perfect person who everyone should aspire to be in terms of like being ladylike or anything like that it's kind of the opposite that she has these complexities to her that she can be both feminine and really tough yes um she can take charge mm-hmm. but she's she's not like sexless or genderless like she is a woman and that's something that i really appreciate because Mm. it seems like these days it's almost like this weird backhanded compliment for a lot of female characters as they're being developed that people like to emphasize the fact that they're not running around in dresses yes wearing lip gloss and leia was and i know that for some people that would be like a sign of the times that that could be seen as regressive that she was always perfectly made up Mm. but i love that about leia because I feel like that shows that you can be feminine and care about your appearance, but also kick ass. Yeah, no, that's so important because there seems to be this like wrong-headed idea amongst some studio executives that to make a woman powerful, you need to make her masculine. And they never did that with Leia. And I really appreciate that. She was like a strong woman, but it's like her strength came from like her femininity. It wasn't like despite her femininity that was like a source of her power and yeah I I really enjoyed and appreciated that and like I know when I was a little girl and I was like playing Star Wars I wanted to be Leia like the Star Wars figures in my dad's box of hundreds and hundreds of Star Wars figures I played with when I was a child I, I was never happy unless I could play with the Leia figures because like Leia was like kick ass and I saw myself in Leia because I'm a girl she was a girl like mm-hmm. and that mattered to me. It mattered to me to like see a woman on screen and especially a woman like who I could aspire to be, who would want to be like her. And right. yeah, it was just so cool. And what another thing that I really appreciate is that in A New Hope, at least I know Return the Jedi is a bit uh, and we'll get to that later. Um but she's never really it's never really drawn attention to the fact that she's a woman and therefore kind of a a lesser being in the mm-hmm. eyes of the other characters. Yeah. Um yeah, like I said, obviously the Jabba thing changes that a little, but um mm. I really appreciate that that it never comes up as this like, oh, well we're not going to listen to your advice because you're the woman. You don't know what yeah. you're talking about. It's almost that um it's it's like she's the one who knows what she's doing and she has to kind of take charge with Han and Luke. Yeah. No, it's so like powerful to have that there. And yeah, Le- Leia is just wonderful. Like and yeah, I think it's a, a real credit to George Lucas that he 
like created this character in in the context it was writing in obviously there was like the feminist movement like the feminist movement in the 70s was like very powerful and it was making real gains for like women's rights and the equal pay and all that kind of thing so i absolutely think the character of leia was influenced by all that but if you look at other films from that time period you can see that they were being very slow to catch up in many ways and especially in that genre because sci-fi is obviously always been like boy's own and very much like about masculine fantasies about what these fantastical landscapes should look like um while obviously star wars is in many ways a masculine fantasy it's really cool that it doesn't like objectify the main female character like for the sake of like having her as the eye candy or having her as the sex object she's just a really cool character who helps to push the plot along and determines the events that go down the galaxy as well as her own fate it's really yeah because if you look at like Luke's journey in A New Hope, um, Leia's clearly supposed to be like the meeting of the goddess part of mm. his modern myth, right? Yeah. But she's so much more than that. Yeah. So she fits into his trajectory in that way, but she has her own journey too. And I really appreciate that because they could have just clearly kept her as just a device in his own story, but she had her own goals. And because she was introduced first, like you say like she's very quickly cemented as one of the main characters and she has her own identity um and i actually love the way that rogue one kind of built on that with bail saying that you know he's going to send leia to obi-wan yeah um and that was before they even had the plans so i this is just a headcanon but i i really like the idea of leia being the new hope mm-hmm. like um because she, she was being sent to obi-wan and bail presumably knew that she was force sensitive yes um so it's like this idea that she could have almost been the jedi mm. like he he could have trained her instead yeah and obviously that does come out more in the later films because there is the whole there is another thing yeah and we later find out that the another is leia right. so again like a new hope you're right in that it is possible to interpret that in more than one way it's like all this discussion about, oh, who's the last Jedi? Or who's the Jedi in Return of the Jedi? Because the surface reading of Return of the Jedi is that the Jedi is Luke, because Luke Skywalker is coming back in the sequel. But the cooler reading is potentially that the Jedi returning is Anakin Skywalker, because he's coming back as the Jedi after having been like mired in the world of the Sith for a long time. So, yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. And also just the idea of um in rogue one you know leia kind of escapes with the plans just as vader's like he's so close to getting them yes um, and then like five minutes later they're meeting again in a new hope and she's just like completely lying to his face that's just mm. amazing yeah it really um contextualizes it which is really interesting yeah she's just so brave mm. she is and she's fearless like you never really see lay like cower and she's never like cowed even when she's in like impossible and terrifying situations so like even when her planet is blown up she's miraculously composed like and you could say that you could argue that that's a fault because like in a way that'd be so incredibly traumatic (laughs) to think literally everything you've ever known like all of your family everywhere you grew up all of your friends all destroyed in an instant like that's unbearably traumatic but at the same time it is 
a real testament to Leia's character that she's able to come through that and is so strong and resolute. Like it's always about the bigger picture of her. It's like there's no time for my personal pain or my personal suffering. We have to put the rebellion first because that's our only hope. Otherwise, this is going to happen again and it's going to be so much worse. So yeah, she's just incredibly level-headed. Yeah, in A New Hope, I kind of feel like the stuff with Alderaan is a bit of an oversight mm. um, because like, you see Leia comforting Luke about Obi-Wan dying. Yes. It's like, come on, she just lost absolutely everything that she ever knew. <laughs> Luke um, just lost the space hobo who he's known for like five hours. <laughs> right. It's just kind of funny, but um, yeah, I they then incorporated that into Leia's character, right? Like That's kind of stuck with her the whole way through her journey that she never gives up even when such awful things happen yeah Uh, she always has an eye on the goal and Mm. um yeah she's just a great character to look up to for that yeah no she's really fantastic um and i really like how she like holds her own against these like masculine authority figures like Tarkin for example because there's these great like scenes of Leia like facing off against Tarkin um, like I recognised you by your foul stench, <laughs> and I I just love it, especially because Peter Cushion is just so effortlessly evil and menacing. Like lovely man in real life, but in character as Tarkin, he's just so slimy and nasty. But Leia's never intimidated. Um, yeah, it's so cool. I think Carrie said that she had a hard time being so mean to him because Peter Cushing was so lovely. Yes. (laughs) How can you take him seriously when he's wearing carpet slippers? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Yeah, that's just adorable. Yeah, it's really sweet. Um, Right, yeah. um, And I guess the other thing to say about Leia in A New Hope is just how she functions as like part of the trio. So with Luke and Han. Because um, there's really nice like seeds of relationships there, like and it's very different. There's such a different vibe with um, Luke and Leia from what there is with Han and Leia, and it's yeah. really interesting because you can kind of tell that when George Lucas wrote Star Wars, he intended for the romantic couple to be like Luke and Leia, like that swing across the balcony with the good luck kiss and stuff. That's mm. a very stereotypical classic romantic moment you wouldn't really include for two characters you intended to be completely platonic, uh, let alone siblings. <laughs> um, but yeah, you never really get like much of a feel like of a genuine like spark there. But you really get that with Leia and Han, even in that first movie. And there's yeah, just it's, a great rapport between them. It's kind of interesting looking back at it with the benefit of hindsight, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. I feel like there's certain lines like Han saying, either I'm going to kill her or I'm beginning to like her. Yes. Like, that to me is a real foreboding of the fact that he's going to fall for this girl hard. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's just so lucky that those things were kind of already there in the groundwork. And yeah. George obviously decided that he was going to make Luke and Leia twins. But there was already that great foundation for this really stormy, passionate affair mm. between um, Han and Leia. Yeah. No, and I think, um, like, I don't know the ins and outs, but one would think that like people noticed that there was that natural chemistry with Carrie and Harrison because obviously they were having an affair during the filming of the original Star Wars. Mm. Um, like as Carrie covered so brilliantly in the Princess Diarist, which we recommend. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it's very much like art imitating life. Although it's kind of ironic because obviously in Star Wars, when the affair between Leia and Han becomes full blown passionate romance. 
by that point in reality, like Harrison and Carrie, they definitely want an item <laughs> anymore by any stretch of the imagination. So yeah, there's a kind of poignancy to that, but it works so brilliantly on screen that it is good for the sake of the art, if that makes sense. Yeah, their relationship is one of my favourite love stories mm-hmm. ever. Like, yeah. I just love Empire for that so much. Yeah, it's so nice. Um, yeah, is there anything we want to say about a new layer in a new hope besides that? I don't think so. Yeah, I think we covered most of the ground. Um, yeah, so then obviously we move on to Empire Strikes Back. And again, I think this is a great movie for Leia. Like, she really asserts herself. I think you get to know her better. You get to know all the characters better in Empire Strikes Back. And obviously the main thing going on for Leia in Empire Strikes Back is the love story with her and Han, as we mentioned. Um, and yeah, obviously, since this is one of your favourite things, Kirsty, do you want to like elucidate on like the track, the journey they go on through the movie? Uh, sure. Yeah, like I really appreciate the kind of the screwball aspect of their dynamic. Mm. It seems like kind of old school. Like, I know it's a few decades old now, but even at the time, like, I just feel like it has this really um, witty kind of give as good as you get, like, exchange between them. And I feel like it really builds the characters so much. Yes. Um, Which, you know, action shots and other things, like, they won't always achieve that kind of thing. But Mm. you quickly get to know the characters through the way that they are kind of denying their feelings for each other. And Han is, like, pursuing her, but also terrified of the fact that she might not like him back. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think it's very revealing. Mm. And I I like the idea that it kind of, it does soften Leia more. And I I don't mean, like, in a bad way. Mm. I think it, it kind of shows that she's human and sometimes she might be afraid of how she's feeling and conflicted because this man is the scoundrel, you know? He yeah. doesn't have the same goals as her. She's dedicated her life to the rebellion and mm. he has been quite transparent about the reasons he's initially involved. Yeah. Um, obviously those reasons change over time as he becomes personally attached to her and Luke, but even even then he's he's there for a very different reason from her. But I yeah. feel like that's gonna kind of got that fairy tale aspect because love conquers all, you know. Yeah. So it's really yeah. important to me. Mm. Yeah, and it's really nice. I I really like how you see their their trajectory in Empire Strikes Back go from like outrageous like name calling and rudeness <laughs> to each other when they're on Hoff. Like, ah, I hate you. You're the worst thing ever. <laughs> like that's basically where they start off. And then you get more of that and more of that. But then like, it gradually starts to soften and you see this more like sentimental edge to both characters and you see them actually genuinely caring for each other. And then yeah. at the point when it really, really matters, so when Leia's threatened with like danger from Vader and when Han is obviously about to go into the Carbonite, that is when you really see their true feelings come out because right. both of them are like, oh my God, the other person and like I don't think they realize the intensity of their own emotions until there there's the risk of the other person being taken away from them forever mm-hmm. like and you can tell like how terrified they are of that and yeah it's just really great because it really amplifies the stakes and it makes you understand the real weight carried by those emotions it's really yeah. lovely I love that from the beginning of the film like the audience can already 
tell how much they've come to care about each other. Like their hands about to leave, and they keep like glancing at each other, like, "Oh, do you do you even care?" You mm, know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then over time, it just kind of overwhelms them both, and they can't hide it anymore. Yeah. And then it it really does like come down to this moment where it's like there's nothing left for them to lose. Like, just say how you feel, you know. Yeah. Um, and I feel like "I Love You, I Know" is pretty powerful because. Mm like this idea that Han just is so selfless in that moment that he just wants her to be okay yeah um he doesn't know if he's gonna live or die but that's not really what matters to him anymore he just wants her to be safe yeah no I really love it when like he's talking to Chewie and saying you've got to look after the princess yeah like that always gets me every time (laughs) it's like like he's basically giving his like dog to Leia (laughs) Oh, he's telling his dog to guard Leia. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so it's so adorable. Um, and yeah, like I think it's a real credit to Lawrence Kasdan's direction that so much of the development of the relationship is just done through like body language, mm-hmm. like you're saying, just these little looks that they shoot each other is really good, and it tests their acting in a way like I don't think A New Hope was able to. Because A New Hope is much more like pulpy and it's just more like a straightforward like hero's journey tale. Like whereas Empire Strikes Back, that's where the real like character and depth come through. Yeah. In the second act, it's like you can then isolate the characters into the the dynamics that you know are gonna develop them that yes. much more. So yeah, the trope of Han and Leia kind of getting isolated by themselves, it's yeah, it just works so well. Mm. Yeah, no, so well done. Um, what do you make of that uh, big old snog between Leia and Luke early on and Hoff? Um. <laughs> it's uncomfortable viewing, isn't it? That was my main thought when I was it is. The fire again. But it also feels in character for Leia because at that time she's still desperately trying to deny to herself and Han that she cares about him. Yeah, no, it's true. And, as and far Han as is... knows Luke is her brother. So. Yeah. Well, she's like, somehow I always knew. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> even yeah. then um, but Han deserves it at that point he's being so cocky mm. and it's kind of funny how he fluctuates between just like he, the range of emotions that he has as he's like talking to Leia and trying to figure out if she feels the same way but also is completely sure that she does and is like getting pretty accusatory like it's it's just really interesting Yeah. so they're both they, they're both so similar like they're just bound to clash mm. Like they're very stubborn and kind of private about how they feel about things and don't want to appear soft. Yeah, no, exactly. I think it's like that quote from Empire's End, like suggests it. Like they're both really similar, like rocket boosters firing full, full ball. Like they're both at the same level of intensity and passion. Um, so they're really similar to each other. But obviously, there's like a fine line between two people who are really similar, like falling madly in love, or like completely destroying each other (laughs) Mm -hmm. so there's a really interesting tension there because there's all these like conflicted loyalties yeah and often you know on on screen romance it's that high conflict and drama that really drives things and Mm. kind of reveals the most about the characters so yeah no people on different sides like of a conflict it's really interesting um yeah and another thing i noticed is that um like I really picked up on the lines that Carrie added, like when she was doing script doctrine for Empire Strikes Back, mm. and I hadn't noticed them before. But when I saw like the script pages with Carrie's annotations, 
like I, I looked out for them and I really noticed them and they had such a great impact like on the character like they're only small things is like Leia saying oh there's not much there about a system like when they've just come out of the like asteroid field and they're figuring out where to go next um but it's so cool because it just adds to Leia's competence and it makes you realize that this woman is really intelligent and she knows like about things that you wouldn't stereotypically expect a woman to know like yeah so it's just confirmed that she's like the equal to any man yeah it seems like Carrie always vouched for characters you know female characters being super smart and being able to more than carry their own yeah uh, yeah when sparring with male characters on screen so it's really cool yeah that's very much welcome um yeah so anything else to say about empire um no i don't think so apart from well if we're going to go into jedi it, mm. the ending really kind of sets up the idea that Leia is going to go and rescue han which is super cool like, yes it does i really like that subversion yeah like i really like how at the very end when leia and luke are together like on the space station you can really tell that leia is very like anxious for han that she's like oh no i really need to get him back like, but there's still that like strength and resolve there with her, mm-hmm. yeah, which I really enjoy and appreciate. Um, and yeah, like I, and it's interesting how inadvertently clever George Lucas was, <laughs> like it's setting things up for the sequel because that moment where Leia senses Luke calling out for her, like through the Force, like that was great groundwork for them being revealed as siblings. Like obviously that's still a really clunky reveal, regardless of any of the other setup. But like that's a good thing that you can retrofit and saying, oh, I knew all along. <laughs> right. Yeah, I feel like a lot of things ended up working out. Like obviously it did not work perfectly. Yeah. But there's just a lot in the earlier films that can kind of be used as evidence that they had this connection. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. No, it's really cool. Um, right. And then we move on to Return of the Jedi, which is obviously the last of the original trilogy films. Um, and yeah, like as a kid, I always really liked how Leia first like appears. I really liked like that she was this weird, freaky alien person with a strange voice. Um, but then she pulls off the helmet, and it's like, oh my god, it's Leia! I really appreciated that. Um, so yeah, I really liked her Bosch disguise. Um, <laughs> and yeah, then obviously things take a different tack when she's captured by Jabba, and he puts her in a slave garb. Yeah, it's a pretty stark contrast, isn't it? Because she it goes is, from yeah. this completely anonymous, fully clothed, um, hidden identity yeah. to then being just com- like completely exposed, not on her own terms, humiliated. Mm. Yeah. Like, I know Carrie was quite outspoken about her dislike of that costume and what it meant in terms mm. of cultural impact in Star Wars. Yeah, no, like it, it does upset me sometimes when... Like, I think it was, like, when I saw obituaries of Carrie and so many, like, sites, like, carried the picture of her in a bikini. And uh, I was like, guys, like, Carrie herself was outspoken about not really liking that costume. Right. And it's like clear t- that that is not the version of the character that she wanted people to remember. Yeah. Like, the... And, like, I think that's what's so great about the women's marches. Like, the layer you see being like pushed out there and promoted the women's marches there's like this icon of like female empowerment it's like a new hope player with the buns and like in the princess dress so she's like this 
feminine figure, but she's as strong for her femininity as anything else. Like, and it's not like she's being objectified or treated as a sex object or anything. And then in Return of the Jedi, like the bikini, it kind of takes away from that. And yeah, it's a bit of a shame. Yeah, I appreciated um, what Claudia Gray did with Bloodline in terms of the Hut Slayer narrative. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and kind of, yeah, drawing attention to the fact that what she was doing in the bikini was far more important than what she looked like. Yeah, definitely. But you also get this feeling that it is just kind of like um, doing the best you can with what's already a bit of a crap situation for the mm-hmm. character. Yeah. Um, I know you can take it on multiple levels that it's obviously supposed to highlight how gross and villainous Jabba is Mm. but it's still clearly supposed to be titillating to the straight male audience Yes, and it's just kind of depressing on that level yeah no I think it and it just feels like it comes a bit out of left field because obviously in the previous films they've done such a great job of like not sexualizing Leia in that way and just presenting her as this like badass female character um and then the return of the jedi that's kind of gone and this isn't to say that there's anything wrong with sexualizing female characters there's zero wrong with having like female characters who like profess their sexual identity and like are outspoken and em- embrace that like in the fullest terms that's absolutely fine and more power to you oh and i think leia um, did do that on her own terms in empire yeah exactly you that know? was leia expressing her sexuality um i think the reason why people object so much to like the whole slave layer thing is because that's not the character expressing herself on her own terms. That's the character being enslaved and objectified. And it's just the whole glorification of that element of the character, often at the expense of other elements of the character that Carrie herself was clearly much more proud of and much more interested in like speaking about and sharing. Like that, that's just a bit of a shame because yeah, like she does just become like a bit of a mass butchery <laughs> fantasy like for that element of the film and yeah I think I've said it before but it just makes me sad when I see young men literally bringing it up to Carrie Fisher's face that oh yeah like <laughs> you were my like dream when I was a teenage boy and it's just like don't say that please it's, like it's just like it erodes all these boundaries of like normal behaviour and it's gross and yeah I th- honestly I think some guys don't even think about it and think that they're probably paying her a compliment yeah but it's like you can say that you think she was wonderful and beautiful in the role you don't have to say that it was that part yeah and the fact that she was almost naked like that's the thing right in the earlier films Leia was a beautiful feminine woman mm. it wasn't like she only became an object of desire once she was wearing the bikini yes so it's just a shame that they felt they had to go that far mm. Yeah, like and like you say, it's cool what she does. Like it's cool how she fights back. I love that she kills Jabba. Like that's such a satisfying scene, because obviously you're upset on Leia's behalf that she's been subjected to that and objectified to such an extreme. Um, and yeah, that makes it more powerful. Like when you actually see her getting her own back. Um, but yeah, it still doesn't make the decision completely okay with me as far as I'm concerned I know other people feel differently but yeah, yeah it's, it's very just... complicated because I know a lot of feminist fans have kind of reclaimed Slave Leia mm. and there's a lot of cosplay I see men dressing up as Slave Leia <laughs> which is kind of awesome Yes. so you know it's it's complex and contradictory and throws up all sorts of questions about agency and yeah yeah 
No, exactly. But yeah, I like about the other elements of Leia and Return of the Jedi. Um, like I, I still really like her in it. She's still a great character, but I do feel like she's. It's almost like she's a bit declawed in Return of the Jedi compared to what she's like in the earlier two films. Yeah, I feel that way about Han as well. Yeah, but it's like, yeah, and and I understand that this is kind of almost an inevitable byproduct of Luke and Vader kind of taking center stage because obviously Vader's redemption is a huge part of Return of the Jedi. Um, but it's just kind of a shame because they were my favorite part of Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they, I know that like this idea that, oh, well, once they got together, their story was over, but it didn't have to be, you know, yeah. it could have had, it could have had more bite. I thought. Yeah. Like you very much get the impression that like George Lucas just ran out of ideas for what he wanted to do with those characters so they're there more out of a sense of like obligation. Like, oh, Han and Leia are main characters, we have to do stuff with them. Rather than, oh yeah, let's tell a really cool story about Han and Leia. Because they're clearly very much secondary, especially past the first act. Because like, Leia and Han are both prominent in the first act, because obviously the first act is all about Han's rescue. Mm. Um, but yeah, just past that, they're kind of accessories, and they're used for exposition, and what I'd almost call filler scenes. Because, like, no one remembers, really, the scenes of, like, Han Solo planting bombs, like, on on Endor, towards the end of Return of the Jedi, because everyone is gripped and focused on all those amazing scenes with Luke, Vader, and the Emperor in the Mm -hmm. friend room. You're not really thinking about what's going on down on the planet. Like, well, well, you might if you really love the Ewoks and you're super into your Ewok action, which I can sympathise with. I really like my Ewoks. But is just fundamentally a less interesting part of that film. Yeah, it's hard because all of that stuff is pretty essential to the overarching idea of them defeating the Empire. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't have that same personal draw yeah. as Vader and Luke. Like, that's the real emotional heart of that story. Yes. So. Yeah, no, it's a bit lacking in that way. But still, like, I, I, I still really enjoy all the end of stuff. It just feels less necessary. Yeah, because they... The idea of like Leia being the other, you know, they they could have almost had her starting to learn how to use the force and things like that. Yeah, that could have pay- played more of a role. I guess that would have just required too much effort. <laughs> <laughs> I know people got really excited about the idea of Leia being more of a force user in the sequel trilogy, and I'm still holding out hope that there's going to be some of that. Yes. Um, because it's hard knowing that there's this female character. I know we have Rey now, but mm. still, like just having one doesn't mean that. Um, if they went through the effort of like explaining that Leia was force sensitive and potential potentially has just as much power as Luke, but just wasn't trained in that way. Yes. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of like, come on, can we see her do at least something? <laughs> Rather than just like sa- sensing him and going to rescue him. You know, yeah. That's still really about Luke. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, and yeah, like with Leia, she just she becomes like really mellow. <laughs> like after she um like goes along with wicked like in the ewok village she literally gets this absurdly long hair which i loved by the way when i was a little girl i was obsessed with that hair um and this long dress and i think she's barefoot um and she looks awesome it's really cool and it's in my opinion much preferable to the whole slave layer look um but yeah it's just not very layer i guess because i'm so used to seeing her as like this figure of action and this person who's in control whereas in the ewok village she just kind of seems to be hanging around not doing much in particular yeah i always thought with the ewok stuff it's kind of supposed to be like this comment on like in- environmental awareness and 
don't know. This could be completely off base. Yeah. But I feel like this is real like connection to nature and wildlife. Yeah. Um so this like this hippie version of Leia, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But if you look back to the beginning of a new hope, it's like so far removed. Mm, so yeah. yes, we can call it character development or whatever, but it almost seems like she's just trying on different costumes and like suddenly taking on a new persona. Yeah. It's flower child Leia. Right. And it because Han and Leia are like firmly in a relationship at that point, it almost has these weird like barefoot and pregnant connotations. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yes, I know. <laughs> I probably sound nuts. No, you but, do not. No. But but we also know, you know, it wasn't too long after that that they did have Ben. So <laughs> well, at, le- at least Ben Ben was conceived once they were married. Yeah. Key detail: once they were married. Um, but it it is kind of like this idea that or well, Leia's arc is so sewn up now because. She's found her partner almost. Yeah. Which is so. a bit of a shame. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I appreciate the sequel trilogy kind of addresses that and she goes on to become General Leia, which is awesome. Yeah. I do wonder if um Wicket was one of Ben's godparents or had any part to play in his life. Well, didn't isn't um it in Life Debt that they include the detail about her getting a tree from Wicket? Oh, I didn't know that. If yeah. That, that's really sweet. I like that. Yeah, I'll have to go back and check. But I think, yeah, she gets a gift from him. That is, I don't know if it was like a seed or like a, a cutting, but it turns into this tree and it's it's almost like a force sensitive kind of tree. Okay. And it's, it, that's the, she's she's next to it where she, when she first senses Ben inside her. Like, oh, right. Yeah, no, so but, I've seen that um, excerpt, but I can't remember it very well. I should revisit yeah. that. Yeah, I think it does specify that that was a gift from Wicker, which is a pretty cool little detail. That's really cool. I hope <laughs> I hope Wicker and Ben were friends. <laughs> 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 Stories we probably won't see in the new canon. <laughs> I'm sure there's fanfic out there. So. <laughs> <laughs> there's fanfic for every bizarre niche. Exactly. Um, yeah, like I guess the something I'd like to talk about from Return of the Jedi is that whole. <laughs> I guess I'd call it interesting conversation with um luke and leia where leia basically finds out that she's luke's sister and yeah it's interesting there's a lot going on in that scene um (laughs) i think carrie did the absolute best job anyone could have with that scene Like, i wouldn't say it's badly written as such i'd just say it's not remotely naturalistic but that kind of scene because of the things that are being said like it was never going to be remotely naturalistic so that's not very surprising um but yeah like it's just interesting um like how chill she is with it and i kind of like how the subsequent canon has like recontextualized that by Mm -hmm. like going more into like how leia feels about finding out she was the daughter of vader right because she doesn't get her no that's impossible moment yeah it's all very like oh okay (laughs) yeah kind of a bit like meh (laughs) yeah that's that's another reason i I really love Bloodline because it does go into her grappling with that horror, you know, that she was tortured by her father. Yeah. And that she didn't see him turning to the light like Luke did. Yes. So, yeah. And I feel like that it kind of plays into a lot of what will presumably be the future of her son's arc as well, you know, yeah. that she believes that he still has light in him. Mm. So maybe that is somehow her coming to terms with Anakin as well. Yeah. No, which is really interesting. Um, yeah, like, and like, what do you make of that whole like? Um, I remember her being like very beautiful comment about my like when Leia's talking about her mother. Do you think she meant Padme or do you think she meant Brea? Obviously, it's all retrofitting when it comes to that. 
like and it's difficult to know what George George Lucas meant exactly but I think it's been said that she was talking about Padme which is bizarre because she was like about two seconds old when Padme died (laughs) right um I guess the logical thing would be that it's about her adoptive mother because she remembers her but that's not what Luke is asking her in that moment obviously it's that we are biologically related yeah can you tell me what you remember about our mother yeah and it just doesn't fit with the prequels it's just kind of strange because that would have been an opportunity for George to go back and make that fit yeah um but I don't know you can kind of twist it and think oh well if she was force sensitive maybe she somehow knew that she could somehow sense Padme while she was in the womb like Mm. who knows um yeah which is interesting in a way that would suggest she was more powerful than Luke or at least more aware than Luke (laughs) Yeah, because he's like, "Well, it's out there already." Like, although then, then again, like, I, I do wonder if it might have helped Leia because I kind of have the impression that Bale would have told her about Padme. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So, and you know, when you're younger, when people tell you things, sometimes mm. you kind of get you trick yourself into thinking that they're your own real memories. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So that's a possibility that I hadn't considered before. Thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, and as I was yeah. thinking, like Bale and Padme, they're obviously very close to all the like political sphere. So that would actually make a lot of sense. Like if he were the person telling her all these stories about like her birth mother, so I'm pretty sure Leia knew she was adopted. It was just the mystery was she didn't know who her father was. She didn't know Darth Vader was her dad. Obviously. Yeah. She references Padme in Bloodline. So it's it's possible that she even saw hollows of her and stuff like that from yeah. Bale. So maybe she did know that she was beautiful. And if Bale told her, I mean, her description does match Padme, especially in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that she's she's a completely compassionate person, but has this overwhelming sadness obviously by what happens to the person she loves and yeah the political system that she had such faith in mm. yeah so. that was very fitting um yeah so oh yeah and one last thing i really like how um han comes along and after seeing like luke leia and luke get like co- cozy and stuff <laughs> they're talking about things <laughs> he thinks that leia has decided to go off with luke yeah, I find that, that is so funny. Is that is one of my favorite moments in Return of the Jedi? It's really good, and I respect them for that. It's it's nice that they didn't try to brush that under the carpet, <laughs> and it's like so much awkwardness. It's like ah, <laughs> yeah, you got to have those moments of levity as well, you know. Yeah, and Star Wars is really good at combining the serious with the, and then because you have those two el- like different elements of the story, right? Yeah, that you are juxtaposing that lightheartedness with the really heavy emotional weight of Luke and Vader. So. Yeah, exactly. Like it means it's not all doom and gloom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So then we obviously have Leia between films. Um, and as you touched upon Kirsty, the, <laughs> the first thing that Leia seems to do after Return of the Jedi is get married to Han and very, very quickly get pregnant. Because, of course, she could not possibly get pregnant outside of wedlock. That would be disastrous. Of course not. Yeah. <laughs> this is kind of funny. There could be no like, taint of illegitimacy. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's interesting to me that this is new canon stuff as well. So they really do not have to go back and do this. Yeah. Um, I know I've seen a lot of, like, discussion about whether Ray is going to have a love interest. And, like, oh, people are obsessed with the idea of her getting married and... It's like, no, that's it's not just about what the audience wants. It's about the values that Lucasfilm and Disney arguably want to espouse. Yes. And 
whether Ray ends up having a love interest or not, this is still part of the new canon that they actually made it very clear in Bloodline that Han and Leia got married before conceiving Ben. And actually, yeah, they they had to go back and even specify when they thought he was conceived and all that and in what circumstances. <laughs> it's just kind of funny. Yeah, it's really weird. It's it's almost like roy- tracing a royal lineage and having to like defend the legitimacy of the child to I like guess it is in a way child. because you get all these crazy fan theories about whether Ben Solo was really Han Solo's kid and <laughs> if if Ray is a solo did Han have an affair or did Leia have her without Han <laughs> Pablo Hidalgo has to answer all of these questions yeah so it's like yeah it, unless like I know it's a soap opera of a kind, like albeit in space, but it's not that kind of soap opera. It's not like EastEnders. <laughs> like there's just like so. rampant infidelity. Yeah, like you know, Anakin and Padme had a secret marriage, but there's still like this fairy tale aspect of once you're in love with someone, that's your partner. Like it's true love, you know, whether it's doomed or happily ever after. Yeah. That seems to be the Star Wars thing. So yes. side characters will have off and on relationships and whatever, but the core characters, I feel like it still has that very classical fairy tale element. Yeah, like they were never going to make Leia in The Force Awakens like a three times divorced, like chain smoking, <laughs> like um, <laughs> uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Cougar. <laughs> or yeah, it just it just doesn't have those realistic elements like that's not what star wars is about so <laughs> yes. like even if, even if they want to show a relationship in trouble or whatever it's still like very much like oh we're still we're in love but we're divided by our duties or it still has that romance about it yeah exactly it's all very much idealized in that respect yeah um yeah so you might be well more v- well versed in this than me, Kirsty. So I think you've been much better at reading the books than I have. Um, but I yeah, have my a instant... memory for them, though. <laughs> well, some of them aren't like all that memorable, from what I can tell. Um, yeah, like although, some, although some are great. Like I love Bloodline. Um, yeah. So from what we can tell, after Return of the Jedi, Leia very much returned to the political sphere. It seems like she never really seriously pursued Jedi training for herself. And she was like a bit important figure in helping to form the new government mm-hmm. of the um, Republic. Um, obviously, alongside this, she would have had a young child. Um, and like the details on Ben's early years are so scant as to be non-existent. Um, but yeah, I think there's a chance of seeing him be born in Empire's End, which would be cool. And then that would give us a bit more of a sense for like Han and Leia's parents, albeit at the very, very start of that experience for them. Um, so yeah, that's something I'd like to see. Um, yeah. And I'm sure there's it's... lots of stories to be told about like Han and Leia and Ben as family because we know so, so little. Right. It's hard to know how things really were at the moment because they're very much setting the stage in terms of expectations. Mm. So with Bloodline, you you very much get the emphasis on them being happy together. Mm. and Ben Solo having a safe, secure, happy childhood. Yes. But then you also get these kind of glimpses, like in The Force Awakens and in the novelization, she expands on it in her conversation with Han, that Leia felt like Snoke was always watching and she was aware of him from very early on, but didn't tell Han because she didn't know how to include him in a way that would really help solve the situation. And so it's kind of contradictory at the moment because we don't have the full story, right? Yeah, So sure. there's these 
there's these big missing pieces that we have so it's kind of hard to comment on it too much yes so they've kind of set the expectation for things seemed very happy mm-hmm. um but obviously they couldn't have been because things went very wrong yes so yeah, yeah. no that's really cool um yeah no so it's going to be so interesting to see that story play out because there's so much left unsaid um but yeah like you say it's clearly being kept quiet for very deliberate reasons um yeah and it was kind of like they had this happiness but also there was this big lie underneath that you know they had never told anyone that their father was Darth Vader yes so it's kind of like they were they were living on borrowed time almost that it was it was going to come out at some point it was going to be used against them because Leia had such political influence and you know she was going she was going to run for chancellor Mm. and had a chance of winning yeah and then that was just kind of stolen away from her which is really hard to read in bloodline like it's devastating because she's worked her whole life in politics and someone just so cruelly takes it away from her yeah no because their whole like standing in the public sphere is built on a lie basically Mm. built on the premise that they're the they're the opposite to everything that Vader and co represented, rather than being more Vader and co represented. Um, so yeah, it's really interesting. Like it's such a big difference. Yeah, and I guess that carries on this common theme in Star Wars, right? That you know this question of does where you come from define you? Yeah. And you know they weren't raised by Darth Vader or Padme. Yes. Um, but it's this idea, especially because they're force sensitive, that um do you have this power inside you? Could could you wreak that kind of havoc and devastation? Like just after we've worked so hard to rebuild everything. Yeah. Um, and it kind of highlights the already existing factions in the New Republic. Yeah. Um, and it just kind of exacerbates the political crisis that's going on there. And you know the First Order is being formed in the background. So you already have that shed- shadow of the Empire growing. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's time for Leia to kind of face that on her own emotional terms as well. Yeah. To accept who her, her who her father was. And, you know, through her relationship with um, Cassifo, she kind of, she kind of starts to understand how someone can be so invested in something mm-hmm. and believe they're in the right that they can end up doing such terrible things in the yeah. name of something good or what they think is good. Yeah. So it's almost like she has this realization that maybe she's closer to Anakin than she thought. Yeah. Which I really like. That was a great moment of um catharsis. Yeah. In the book, like seeing her like reconcile with that. It felt like the first time that she'd ever really been able to connect to her father in that way. And there was something really quite profound about that. And mm-hmm. and it's really nice because like it is easy for these time books to seem like they're not that necessary all the time like you've like when you see there's a short story about constable zuvio and what he gets up to on jakku it's like did the world really need this (laughs) was this a story that had to be told be honest and the answer is probably no um but like at the same time the story in bloodline it does feel very vital and it feels like it's really great character building for leia and it helps to enrich our understanding of her so yeah, like it's really nice to see those stories being told in the new canon. Yeah, I feel like it's a really necessary, important book. Um, obviously, it's really well written and entertaining as well. Yeah, but I feel like it really does 
the layer of the original trilogy justice because as we've been discussing even though we love the character and feel like she's well developed in lots of different ways and she's hugely important um a lot of her arc can be kind of glossed over and i know that's just kind of a symptom of star wars because things move so quickly and it's kind of about these bigger grand ideas rather than the intensely personal Mm -hmm. um but i i feel like it's it really adds to your understanding of the character yeah in many ways the original trilogy is a story of luke so the leia fans i think is it's really important yeah no it's really crucial um yeah and i find it interesting that it wasn't just that leia kept it secret from everyone else for political reasons she also kept it secret from ben yeah when he was a child and we we don't know how ben responded to finding out the truth and nor and nor does Leia. And it's so interesting to see Leia worrying about that because she's clearly terrified about how he's going to respond. And it's so interesting because it really makes you wonder, like, well, why is she so frightened about how he might cope with this information? Yeah. Like, obviously, it would be awful, traumatic information for anyone, even in the very best of circumstances. But as just something about the way that scenario is written and bloodline, that it makes me wonder hmm like did something go down like in the past that makes her worried about like ben like being able to identify vader in this way um so yeah it's very interesting yeah at this point obviously she must know how strong ben is in the force Mm. um so there's kind of always in the back of her mind especially because i kind of see like leia not being able to be honest about who her father was in bloodline as kind of like a foil to luke in return of the jedi like accepting that vader is his father like facing the shadow Mm. so it's this idea that because leia doesn't face the shadow eventually it comes out so much bigger and makes everything so much worse yeah and has these knock-on effects yes um so yeah like she obviously goes through that arc in bloodline where towards the end as we said like she does start to face up to what anakin stood for and maybe even begins to partly justify it in her mind not like condoning his behavior but starting to understand it yes um and then that kind of makes you wonder like is that going to then be passed on to kylo ren in his arc across the sequel trilogy Mm. like he's gonna have to face that as well so it's this idea of the shadow stretching across multiple generations and you see that very blatantly in the cover art on bloodline right that yeah absolutely. vader is the shadow still yeah for, for the family so yeah that was really really cool i look forward to seeing the rest of that story told so i'm sure we're gonna see that time period told from like ben's perspective i can find mm-hmm. out what was going on with him at that time and yeah that's gonna be really fascinating um Right, then obviously that brings us pretty much to the events of The Force Awakens, by which time we find out that Han and Leia, they're, they're still married, but they're separated, essentially. They're living completely separate lives. Like They both say, we've gone back to the only things we were ever good at. So for Leia, that means leading resistance, like just like she was a crucial member of the Rebellion back in the day. And for Han, that means being like a retrobate smuggler, <laughs> um, which seems to be his talent. Um, yeah, and it's um, really interesting to revisit that character 30 years later. And you find her, like, in many ways, she's still much the same person. But obviously, at the same time, she's also a very changed person because so much has happened in her life since we last saw her. And I think Carrie does a really good job of getting that across like the passage of time and 
like house characters like weary and while she's still fighting and doing what she did before like she does at this stage have like a different focus because obviously she's so desperate for her son like to come back to the light like that's not her sole focus i'd say her primary focus is the good of the galaxy and the good of the resistance like she's still very selfless and she puts the bigger picture first just like she's always done but yeah it's interesting to see leia the mother um yeah what what did you think about seeing leia again in force awakens i i really like what they did with the character but at the same time i feel like they could have done a lot more Mm. and we've talked before about those deleted scenes that kind of showcase leia more as a general yes um yeah i i do kind of wish those had been kept in and I kind of resent the idea that they were taken out because they wanted Leia to be introduced as part of Han's arc rather than on her own terms. Yeah, no, that's true. Like she is very much in that film as like a wife and mother. Like she is General Leia and that's really cool that they did that. They're trying to position her like in that independent, powerful position. But at the same time like you don't really see much of that and that's because all of the stuff that did focus on her in her own right as general leia that was mostly deleted and that is a right. shame because there's like a great deleted scene with um leia and corsella yeah and um leia's so like spunky and you can really see carrie coming through in the performance in that particular scene and it's really nice yeah i i like th- uh, that we get the chance to see those deleted scenes but at the same time it's like oh is this canon is it not <laughs> yes um yeah, and obviously it's just not part of the overall narrative anymore. You have to view it in isolation. So, um, yeah, I the things about, you know, Leia being partially identified in The Force Awakens as Kylo Ren's mother, um, I think that's a strength of the character in a way. I don't feel like it's like, oh, she's just being resigned to being a family woman. Um, it's more like she takes on that role as someone who has grieved so much and has struggled so much personally, but still is doing what she cares about. Like she still knows what her goals are in life and what she wants to achieve on her own terms as well. And this idea that, yes, I have this tragedy in my personal life, but I'm not going to let it affect what I care about and what I know is important and where my skills lie. So, yeah, no, which is really nice. Um, And I think there's, you see interesting touches of, like Leia acting in a very military like capacity, like in her, terms of how she deals with Finn, for example, because she obviously recognises that Finn like has the potential to be really important to like the resistance cause, because he obviously has that insider's perspective. Mm-hmm. He knows what was going on inside the First Order, so they need him. But obviously at that point, Finn's sole priority is Rey. All he's talking about is getting Rey back, because he's just seen her be kidnapped by Kylo. Um and you can just see like Leia kind of brushing him off so like it's not that she's heartless like I'm sure she feels sorry for the girl like and I think she says as much but like that is not her main problem at that point because there's obviously planets at stake and you can't prioritize one random girl how however young or innocent or whatever over like the fate of like millions upon millions of people Right. I think that's in character for Leia. You know, she, she cares. She says, I'm sorry to hear about your friend, mm. but we're here doing something really important. And this is kind of like the reality in Star Wars that sometimes things do not go well for individuals. Like, you know, she she wants to help him. She's saying she cares about what he's saying, but that she needs his information first. Yeah. So. 
know exactly you sometimes need to put the head before the heart kind of yeah i think that's very much what that's about because it's like interesting it's not that she specifically sends han out to save ben to bring ben back it's more like if you see him so obviously the mission is the most important thing but still at the same time we love our son we want our son back so if you see him try to bring him back like and yeah i I feel awful for her because i wonder how it's going to weigh on her you know the knowledge that she gave him that instruction and like well would he have approached ben if she hadn't said that like she shouldn't bear any blame for that whatsoever of course but like it is the kind of thing where i think you probably would beat yourself up for it yeah she had ultimate faith in her son that there was still light in him and i i don't think she's going to be proven wrong i think Mm. she's going to be proven right in the long term yeah and i don't think that han's sacrifice is going to be in vain but Mm. it's something she would never have asked of him if she'd known the outcome yes so exactly so there's a real sense of tragedy there but obviously the hope is that that tragedy is gonna ultimately be redeemed Mm. um and yeah like um i really i find the conversation between han and leia very interesting like it's obviously like a very <laughs> intense exposition session because they're trying to convey so much to the audience in a very brief period of time. Um, but yeah, like I find it so interesting because you really see Leia like beating herself up over the decisions she made about Ben when he was a child. Like I never should have sent him away, that kind of thing. And is that situation where you can tell she's looking back for the benefit of hindsight. But at the time, I'm sure that that did seem like the only way to get her brother involved and to try and give this force sensitive child Jedi training. That probably seemed like the only answer to an impossible situation. Yeah. But obviously because of how things went, she's tormented by the fact that, oh God, what what have things have gone differently? What have I kept him with me? And yeah, I think that's really realistic and you can really mm-hmm. identify with that in real world terms. Because you often see like parents doing things that they'll consider to be in the best interests of their child but the child doesn't see that way or things don't work out the best way for the child. And yeah, it just causes misery in the long run. And yeah, it's a real irony there. Yeah. I've seen some people comment on the the idea that the dialogue in that scene can be kind of clunky. To an extent, I agree because they were obviously waiting till later on in the film for them to reveal Ben's name. Yes. So they kept saying my son, (laughs) you know, Asan, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, so but it's very emotionally honest and like Mm. you say it feels very much like two real parents looking back and obsessing over what they could have done to change things yeah um the difference is that han has kind of walked away from things and just kind of lost hope whereas leia still very much has it and she tries to inspire that in him again yes and manages to succeed like maybe not right in that second when the scene ends he still looks very like okay like i'm not sure but i guess i'm going to do this to humor you Mm. um but by the time he gets the circular base and sees kylo ren it kind of hits him you know this is my son and you know it's worth me trying here Mm. so yeah no it's a nice little touch um yeah and then obviously at the end of the film we see leia wishing ray goodbye like she goes off on her adventure to see luke um why do you think leia sent Ray off to find Luke when obviously Leia herself is the one who's been searching for him for so long. I think she knows that she still has primary responsibility with the resistance. Mm, yeah. Um, she wants Luke to come back, but at the same time, you know, she sent Poe to get the map mm. um, and obviously trusts Ray to kind of do the job for her that um, she can recognize that Ray is strong in the Force, 
um, knows that her husband spent a, a significant amount of time with Ray and bonded with her and probably senses that Ray has a connection with her son now as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it makes sense to kind of pass that torch on to the younger generation. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, and, yeah, like, it also makes sense to, that she recognises the full sensitivity and there, therefore realises that it's probably a sense of, like, destiny involved in sending Ray to Luke. Mm-hmm. Like, that was how it was meant to be. Like, the girl turning up wasn't arbitrary. She turned up for a reason. Yeah, and she even has Luke's saber, you know? Yeah, so. exactly. Just a natural fit. Um, yeah, like, and then just to bring things full circle, we were just going to have a quick chat about like Leia's cultural impact because we've seen, as we touched upon, we've seen a lot of Leia, like at things like the women's marches um, that happen across the world, like in response to Donald Trump's presidency. Um, and Leia has just become such a focal point of that. Like, it's really cool. Like, you see these slogans, like, a woman's place is in the resistance mm. and stuff. And, like, it makes me really happy because this is such a fantastic way to honour Carrie Fisher and everything she brought to that character. Um, so, yeah, like, I was wondering like, if you wanted to talk about that for a bit, Kirsty. So I know it, it means a great deal to you. Yeah, I feel like it would mean a great deal to Carrie as well because she mm. was very outspoken about what she thought about Donald Trump and his politics and being a very strong feminist as well and obviously an advocate for um, feminism, reproductive rights, um, mental health awareness. Mm. So I just, I know that that would have meant a great deal to her to see that. Yes. You know, if she'd have been here, she would have been out there marching as well. Mm. Um, So it was really special to see her included in that way. And she obviously means a great deal to many of the women who created those banners Yes, um, and took inspiration from the character and from the actress because both are very inspiring. Yeah, no, which is so cool. Yeah, it just felt really cathartic to see all that. Like, it's just it's been not to get too political. Like, we try to keep the politics to a minimum here, but the last few months and I know the next four years are going to be very, very hard mm. for people who care about women's rights. Yes, immigration, people of color, LGBT rights. And they were all things that I know Carrie really cared about. Um, so it's just, it's very meaningful to see the character reference in that way. Yeah. I know that <laughs> there's all this kind of BS around, like, Bob Iger saying that Star Wars isn't political and that. Like, I just, I have to laugh at that because yeah. I was kind of flipping through Bloodline the other day and there are so many quotes from Leia, like, that are applicable to the situation right now. And yeah. they're almost universal. Like, you know, you see history repeating itself. And that's almost what Star Wars is about. Like, you know, the First Order is obviously a repetition of the Empire, right? It's yes. this idea that fascism will come back if yeah. you aren't vigilant. Um, corruption will yeah. always be there in the shadows and mm. kind of take over if you let it. Yeah. Um, so to not be apathetic. And yeah, I think it's really important in this uh, current climate. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Because... Like, I don't think it's subtle that in the original trilogy, the Empire is very much like analogous to the Nazis in many ways. Yeah. And obviously, they really revisit that with the First Order and, <laughs> like, Hux giving that insanely dramatic speech, which is very, like, obviously reminiscent of, like, Hitler's, like, terrifying speech, speechifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, it just reminded me because... Like I was talking to like my German friend, like about Trump's presidency, 
and like we were talking about the context like of how trump came to be elected you know like all the economic decline all like the frustration like the regular people feeling like the existing political structures weren't achieving anything like all those kind of kinds of factors and like my friend just said that's exactly how the nazis came to power right um and yeah like you say it's just these cycles of like these bad decisions being repeated again and again across different eras and i absolutely think that star wars reflects that and like i know like there's been a lot of hate on the sequel trilogy because people feel like it is a rehash like of the original trilogy in many ways by recycling that conflict but in many ways that's like the most authentic route they could have taken for it exactly it mirrors just what what happens happens in real life it's depressing to think about obviously but it's important to acknowledge and it's it's updated in many ways you know like if you look at how Leia's son is the villain of the new trilogy he's very much a villain appropriate for our age so things are updated to kind of incorporate modern themes and the situations so yeah no it's really like fascinating and yeah like I just think reclaiming Leia like in that way for these marches and like making her political like in a way that I'm sure Carrie would have loved for her to be political like so like outspokenly and so brazenly I think that's so wonderful because that is just getting to the core of what makes that character brilliant like as far, as far as I'm concerned anyway yeah um, just like the fact that she was like outspoken and she was never intimidated by authority like however polished or overpowering it seemed like she was always in a position to resist and she never gave up hope in the importance of resisting and standing up against these figures of authority like and those are really really strong ideas that we can like take with us and like apply in the current world yeah and i feel like leia's legacy has obviously kind of paved the way for characters like Jin and ray and even padme mm. um but it kind of spreads so much further beyond star wars as well like yeah. she's really a blueprint for many female heroines and these brash outspoken female characters so yeah there's a lot to be grateful for when it comes to Leia. Yeah, no, she's had a fantastic cultural legacy. Because I think when people saw how much people loved Leia, they're like, wow, we should make more characters like this. Right. A lot of the time it just kind of comes down to that business aspect, doesn't it? Yeah. That, oh, people do actually like this. Women do want to be represented. <laughs> yeah. How strange. Shocking. <laughs> yeah. It's like how after Hunger Games, there was that whole like glut of like young adult movies like centered around young women. Like, and while well, quite a few of them have been really crap, in a way that's a really great thing because it's like, wow, having a movie of a young woman in it makes a lot of money. My goodness, maybe we should run with this. Right. Like, so while it's not like everything that comes out of that revelation in the minds of like bean counters is fantastic because there's a lot of <laughs> crap, to put it bluntly. Um, like you are still going to get good stuff and it's really nice in the way that it like normalizes these like heroic female figures and right. I absolutely think that's what Leia did she just made like female heroism normal and awesome and admirable and yeah it's really cool exactly like the best part of that is that when it stops being seen as a fad or a trend you know mm. so like trends in fiction will come and go in terms of like the genres and like you say that Hunger Games kind of zeitgeist but Mm -hmm. 
it should never be like a trend that declines that you suddenly stop seeing female characters in these important roles. So. Yeah. No, it was really nice. Um, yeah, is there anything else you'd like to say about Leia's cultural impact or anything? Or should we move on to questions? I think we should move on because we've been talking for quite a while. <laughs> we have. It's amazing how these discussions run away from us. Like at first I'll look at it and I think, oh gosh, I hope we um, have enough to say. But that is never a problem, ever. <laughs> no, we never seem to shut up. <laughs> no, exactly. But, you know, again, coming back to Carrie, she wouldn't want women to shut up. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's good to yap away. <laughs> Especially about stuff like this. Yeah. Um, right. So I will skip it came from Reddit. Sorry. <laughs> um, and go straight to questions. And the first is that we have an email from Emily. And I will read. Hi, I'm Emily. And first off, let me just say how much I love listening to your amazing podcast. It's so nice to hear very intelligent conversations centered around Star Wars, especially from a female point of view. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, my question actually centers around a spoiler rumor I heard for Episode 8, Now the Last Jedi. Okay, people, so stop listening <laughs> if you're frightened. <laughs> um, and I was wondering if you had heard it, and if so, it was from a ke- and if so, whether it was from a credible source, and if you had any thoughts on it. Basically, the rumour was that Chewie would be killed off in episode 8 while trying to protect Rey. I know that this isn't a very interesting or intelligent question, and I apologise for that. Don't apologise, it's fine. (laughs) It's a good question. Um, But I'm a huge Chewie fan, and it just honestly seems like way too much to kill off Han and then Chewie in the very next film. I was just wondering if you had managed to debunk this theory or anything like that. Keep up the great work, and thanks for hopefully even reading this. Oh, <laughs> so sweet! Um, and then just in a PS, she mentions that um, Michael Giacchino included pun names for the Rogue One tracklist in the booklet. Um, I f- vaguely recall seeing that, and they were very funny. <laughs> I'll have to um, find them at some point and read them off because they're worth listening to. Um, yeah, so. Like, I certainly haven't heard anything about Chewie being killed off in episode 8. Uh, have you, Kirsty? No, me neither. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't expect him to. I think it would be pretty brutal if they had Han die in The Force Awakens and then Chewie died in 8. Mm. I personally think he's likely to be one of the safest of all the characters. Yeah, he's um, kind of like the droids in that aspect, right? Like, yeah. they can keep him around as a constant because... I don't know the average lifespan of Wookiees, but I'm imagining it's much longer than humans. It is. It's centuries. Right, and you know he can be played by various actors. Yeah, and he already he already is being played by other actors besides Peter Mayhew. So, yeah, I I can't really see that happening, and I certainly haven't heard anything. Yeah, no, totally. Like it just makes so much more like sense to keep him around. Like I I just don't see that happening. Um, like and especially like um, Emily points out straight after Hand Iron too, that would just be way too much. They're right. not going to want us to suffer to that extreme, I don't think. Yeah, I just don't know what what purpose it would serve. Mm. You know, because the the person he meant the most to was Han, so that that would be that emotional weight. And obviously, saw that in reverse when Han died and Chewie was incredibly upset. But mm. I just, yeah, I don't, I don't see why that would happen. Yeah, no, like uh, he might well be injured. Or something like that, but I don't see him dying. Not at all. Like, we've heard rumours that he's involved in, like, the skirmish between Luke and Rey and the Knights of Ren and Kylo. Mm. So I expect he'll be involved in some capacity with that, because obviously it makes sense that he's on the island, unless he's left for some reason, which seems unlikely. Um, so yeah, he'll, he'll be involved in that, but I certainly don't think he's going to die. 
Oh, you know what? I think this might come from, I'm just recalling, I think there was something in the eyewitness reports from filming in Ireland mm-hmm. um, that someone thought they saw someone carrying or at least like helping Chewie climb up a hill. Mm. But I can't remember, like it's impossible to tell from that kind of thing whether they're actually in the middle of filming something or if it's just kind of in between takes or what have you. Yes. Um, so yeah, that maybe that's what Emily's referring to. Perhaps, yeah. There's like there was so much that came out of like Ireland. It's like difficult to track everything. <laughs> yeah, and that stuff was filmed from so far away, and so much of it's already been walked back. Um, yeah, it still seems like too early to really put too much stock in all of those spoilers. So, mm. yeah. yeah, I mean, it's possible he could get injured in the skirmish, but at the same time, he was injured in the Force Awakens too, so it could be kind of repetitive. <laughs> yes. It's like, oh, every time Chewie needs some medical attention. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, he needs to go to casualty. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Um, yeah, so basically, I think to sum that up, we don't think Chewie's going to die. <laughs> yeah, don't don't worry. <laughs> yeah, no, I think we're good. <laughs> um, right, and then the last email is from Olivia. And Olivia asks, who is your favourite character from The Force Awakens, new or old? And also in the whole of the seven films... Who's your favourite male and favourite female? And why do you like them and what drew you to them? That's a loaded series of questions. <laughs> yeah, um, seriously. <laughs> and then Olivia says, Thank you, loving the podcast. Keep up the balls work and can't wait to listen to more. Kiss, kiss. Oh, thank you. Um, well, wow, where to begin? <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe to keep it simple, Kirsty, maybe just one ori- favourite original trilogy character and one favourite Force Awakens character? Like- okay. Um, yeah. Well, Han Solo is my favourite in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I'm going to have to go with Kylo in The Force Awakens. But Rey is a close second. Yeah. Wow. Oh, it's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? I think of children. Um, <laughs> in the original trilogy, um, Wicket, no. <laughs> you do talk about Wicket a lot. <laughs> it's okay I... for him to be your favourite. I, I, I do, but he's not actually my favourite. Uh, probably Luke. <laughs> Um, right. Although then, is it Leia? Oh, <laughs> is Luke or Leia? Like, I know I definitely played at being Leia more, but I think I might just prefer Luke by a hair, just because I think he has a stronger story arc when you're looking at him across all three films. Mm-hmm. Because I love Leia in A New Hope and Empire, but I think her story kind of fades off like a bit in Return of the Jedi, so that kind of means it's a bit less compelling for me there. Um, I also really love Vader, but that's kind of propped up a lot by the prequels. Mm. So, and what we understand of Anakin and his fall. Yeah. So it's hard to kind of compartmentalize him just in the original trilogy. Yeah. Oh, that's actually a good point. How about prequel trilogy favorite character, Kirsty? Well, overall, I'd probably have to go for Obi Wan. Mm. Yeah. But I uh, do love Padme as well. Yeah. I <laughs> would people hate me if I said Palpatine. <laughs> No. <laughs> He's probably my favourite prequel trilogy character. He's a fantastic character. Yeah, I love him. Like, he owns Revenge of the Sith for me. It's like, no, no! <laughs> He's so good. Like, I'm yeah. still um, uh, cheerleading for the Ray Palpatine theory. <laughs> Just because it'd be so badass. I'd oh love it. <laughs> it'd upset so many people. <laughs> I guess it would, yeah, that's true. It would. Um, yeah, no, I just realised I haven't said my favourite sequel trilogy character. Oh, man. I- again, it's between Rey and Kylo. Um, 
You said Kylo, I'll say Ray. Okay. Let's keep it different. I really do love both of them pretty much equally. Um, Like, Ray is like a little ray of sunshine. So I just also condescending. Um, she's a really good character as well. But I yeah. do like how like bright and optimistic she is and, and just like how good she is. She reminds me of Luke in that way. Um, I just like characters like who have that sense of hope to them. So I love Kylo and I think he's magnificently realized and incredibly well portrayed. But obviously there is this real sense of like pain and desolation to that character. And it's really interesting and cool to have that, like especially in one of these fanciful space movies. Um, but in a way that makes him... It's quite painful to watch Kylo sometimes. That makes oh, definitely. Sense. Because you're just like, oh, you're doing everything wrong. Please. Yeah, he is. But for that reason, I find him quite cathartic. Mm. Like his journey. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I identify him with him for a lot of reasons. And yeah. They are painful reasons for sure, because obviously the character is messed up in all kinds of ways. Like he's he's screwing himself over. Mm. Um, but it's very interesting. Yeah. No, I think that makes total sense. People see a lot of themselves in these characters. I think that's why they've become so like iconic and special to people, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Um, right. Then I think we can close things off here. Like clocking in just under two hours, which isn't too bad <laughs> by our standards. It's quite a brief one. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed talking about Leia because this was obviously a discussion we wanted to have since Carrie passed away. Because obviously it was something that was always on the table that we were going to do. But it was something we felt, right, we need to do this in the near future. So yeah, yeah. I'm glad we said it. And it feels especially vital now because of the political climate and stuff. So Yeah, definitely. It was really good. Um, yeah, and tonight we're going to find out whether Adam Driver's Snickers commercial has anything to do with stars or not. Yeah, I'm kind of edging away from that now. <laughs> I, I'm trying not to be hopeful. Like, they keep on pushing that it's about a cowboy and stuff. Like, my soul... I'm All my hope is hinged on the fact that these Snickers adverts, they tend to appear... They tend to combine two completely disparate things. So, for example, in this series of adverts, they had an advert of Mr. Bean in it. And <laughs> it's like a troop of ninjas crawling across like rooftops very stealthily, as ninjas do. Um, and then one of them becomes Mr. Bean. The thing <laughs> so, is, yeah. they're doing this one live. So how would he just quickly change into Kylo? Well, that's the thing. I'd think they'd have to get a body double. Yeah. It's because obviously Kylo's masked. So you could technically have a body double and swap him out for the real Adam Driver as necessary. Um, But yeah, I agree that it doesn't seem too plausible right now. But I still want to... Like, Star Wars is about hope, Kirsty. We need to have hope, okay? Yeah, I would be... so important. (laughs) Very pleasantly surprised, but watching some of the the behind-the-scenes stuff... It's been very awkwardly funny. Like, I think he has a real gift for um, kind of improvised humour in that very deadpan way. Yes. But so far, it's not screaming Kylo Ren to me. So we'll see. Now. (laughs) (laughs) We will find out. Um, Yeah. So thank you for listening, everyone. If you have any questions for next time, please email us on scavengershorde at gmail.com. Was there anything you wanted to say, Kirsty, before we do the goodbyes? Um, No, I don't think so. I mean, yeah, just thank you to everyone who continues to review us and sending us questions. We love hearing from you. So... Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been really lovely to kind of 
build this community around the podcast. I wasn't expecting that many people to listen to us. So it's <laughs> been a nice bonus. Yeah. We'd, prob- we'd probably just keep talking to each other about Star Wars anyway, even if no one was listening. But... <laughs> yeah, exactly. We just put it out there for your listening pleasure. So it's a win. <laughs> um, right. So you can find me on Tumblr at Star Wars Nonsense and on WordPress at Journal of the Star Wars. And how about you, Kirsty? I'm on Tumblr at Bastilla Bay and Twitter at Scavengers Horde. So. Thank you very much for listening, everyone, and we will talk soon. Bye. Bye.